welcome back to the One Broke Actress Podcast. I am your host, Sam Valentine, bringing you episode seven of season six. We are going to get straight into today's podcast because Matthew Law was such an amazing guest. We talked for longer than normal, and to be honest, we both stayed on Zoom for, I think, another hour after the call to uh, finish our conversation. He's so inspiring. Matthew takes us through his career, how he came into the business, not thinking he actually wanted to be an actor, to be behind the camera, how working on sets really formed a lot of what he learned about being an actor, classes he took that mattered, that didn't matter. He takes us through all of that goodness. And also, we really talk a lot about how he as a black man was treated on sets, how he is treated now, what working with Tyler Perry was like and how those sets were different how he has been so actively involved in the Black Lives Matter protests that are happening all over Los Angeles and his visions for the future and what he wants actors to know of any race across this union. You're going to love Matthew. I think you're going to be so impressed with him. I am so excited to be a new fan of his. So without further ado, please enjoy Matthew Law. Okay, Matthew Law. Thanks yes, so much. Matthew Law, the gamer. <laughs> no, wait. Actually, yeah, little known, little known secret, except for by my dear friends. Um, Matthew, thank you so much for being here, for taking the time to sit down and chat with me, because um, the world is is so full of things to do right now, namely be on social media, if you've been doing what I've been doing. Um, but uh, I appreciate you sitting down with me to talk about acting and, and all things in the business. No, Sam, thank you. Thank you for thank you for having me. Thank you for um doing what you do. Well, thank you. Uh so let's uh let's get the people introduced to who you are as an actor. So how did you come into acting? I like to ask that question because I feel like it usually takes us back to something in childhood or early years of your life. Wow. You know, I feel like that might be where I might be an outlier in that sense. I mean, obviously I I was very I was the only child. I was very theatrical in my, I had high energy. What do they say? I was, I was an overly energetic child. But um, as far as acting goes, I didn't really jump until probably five years ago. Like, yeah, about five years ago, I just kind of, I was, I, I never approached it because I love cinema and I love storytelling and I love filmmaking. And so I always approached it from the other side of the camera. And I never really had an example of like, oh, okay, well, this is something because I had the bug for sure inside, you know, I just never I felt like it was I didn't I wasn't brave enough or courageous enough to think that, okay, I because I love writing, I love directing and I love editing. And that's what I've worked in and been educated in. Um, but for acting, I was like, ah, but I can't do that, too because I didn't really have an example to point to. I didn't have a Donald Glover really at the time to be like, see, like that's a thing. And you're very much dissuaded from doing that in the space. It's like, well, why don't you just focus on one thing, at least at that time. Now it's all about multi-hyphenate. But at that time, it was definitely like a secret second life that I was like, maybe I can figure out how to do this. So when I moved to LA, I just sort of uh, like, oh my God. Well, I'm sure you've heard all the horror stories, but you know, showing up at random Craigslist things like is this acting you know did you uh so you decided to start pursuing it when you moved to LA like to dip your toe in the water 
I decided to start pursuing it. Um, yes, when I, when I moved to Los Angeles and um, had no idea what I was doing. Okay. So what did you do to start pursuing? So did you just go online and find random auditions? Like who told you what even to do? So I was at, I'd moved, so I'm from Seattle and I went to Philadelphia to Temple University to study film. I was going to play, um, I was going to play sports, but then I was like, you know, what? I'm going to go after this thing. I, I believe like, I, I want to be a director. I want to be a filmmaker. And so in Philly, I went to Philly. Philly's terrible. Um, I'm sorry for any Philadelphians listening. I, I know part of you agrees with me. I know part of you agrees with me. I know it. So are you from Philly actually, Sam? No, I'm know. from the Midwest, but I... <laughs> I can tell. See, I look at you and I know. Please flood my inbox with hate mail. I'd, I'd expect nothing different from Philadelphians. Oh my so. God. <laughs> Aren't they like one of the only, isn't the Eagle Stadium like the, one of the only NFL stadiums that has like a, a like a, a jail in it or something? Listen, like they will burn their, if you want to see an example of the disparity of coverage, look at how Philadelphia, all right, all right, no, okay. <laughs> um, so I left after a, a year and I was like, I'm, I'm going to come to LA and I'll figure it out. But when I got here, I was, I was crashing on couches. I was lucky enough to have, have a car that my aunt loaned me mm-hmm. and um i went to smc santa monica mm-hmm. and just kind of crashed out of the car and they had an acting class and i was like oh this is like but it was so bad actually no no hate no hate to santa monica college i just think it was that specific class it was just not really scene study there was no idea of like how do i break into this people then started saying oh commercials is a thing and then mm-hmm. you start hearing sort of the the ethos of la acting which is like well if you get into commercials then you can get an agent in representation if you get agent representation you could do this and that so that I just started ladder you're supposed to climb right there is there's there's this kind of El Dorado narrative of like uh yeah the the fabled uh kind of um Mount Olympus sort of steps and and I just started uh, I heard you needed a headshot and I had a really embarrassing like pencil mustache at the time I don't know why and I was crashing in Lamert Park at the time uh one of the dudes there was taking pictures of of um he said he was a photographer but I don't think it was like a I don't think he was like it was half naked women at all times of the night so I think of that like but he was like I could take a headshot for you they weren't very good uh but but I took those photos I printed them out uh, uh and I just started walking into places and um and pretending like I had meetings because I thought I needed representation and stuff and self-submitting on uh, I heard about Actors Access and LA Casting at the time and I just started self-submitting and and going on Craigslist which was a bad idea and showing up at random places and so while you were doing this were you also working on writing producing directing kind of all the things or were you just kind of working on acting I was I was simultaneously grinding it out trying to get into UCLA so I was working at BJ's Brewery at Fox Hills Mall, terrible place also. I'm a hater today. <laughs> um, I'm like a chain restaurant to really get you going. <laughs> it, 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 oh my goodness. Boy, are people unhappy. Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, I really, that hunger and I, and I find it with a lot of the act, with a lot of my friends. Only recently have I started developing really tight friend groups with people who are actors. Like I've kind of had a separation of that, but the similarity I find is that everybody has this hunger in this drive. And I think that that was definitely in full effect, you know, it was like $9 in the bank account and I'm trying to split. How can I like 
spread a meal out from the middle of the day throughout. But at the same time, I was looking at um, internships and I was pretending I would make, I would lie on my resume to get in because I knew, because I had already um, a backlog of work because I was shooting and editing on my own. So I would get in and I was PAing on set. So from the production side, I started PAing and interning uh, for like MTV and, I sh and, and then I started working for, you know, different people on that side. And then I got into a production company um, and started shouting as an, as an editor and an intern and then as a director. Um, so I was doing all that while trying to get into school and climb this golden staircase of acting. Did you feel like uh, working on sets was helpful to what you were doing? Or do you feel like it was kind of the opposite of what your goal was? It's funny now because when I'm at a show, you know, for when I book a first show, I have more in common, I feel like, with the PAs who are carrying crap and getting, which I, which I really am hoping that we have a greater a circle of empathy um, because the hierarchy is very much in effect in a, in a lot of sets that I, that I see. Um, but I feel like it was extremely helpful because not just as a storyteller, but as a leader to be like, okay, that doesn't work when you just yell at people or like, oh, okay, I see, or I'd see tools that actors are picking up and using. And I'd be like, oh, wow, that's, I'd start to like file that away. Maybe mm -hmm. I really like what that person did. I really like this. So I was, I was very much there to not just work, but be a sponge to soak up how sets, how sets move and, and, um, and different techniques that I could see and, and use, but also, but also I think just to see the machine of how we produce things. And I think that it's really nice to know what you don't want to do. It's almost just as an, it is just as important, important. It is just as important to know what you don't want to do as it is to know what you do want to do. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, no, I, I'm going to give in fully to this dream. Like I'm not going to stand here to make minimum wage because it's a secure job week after week. It's like, these people are saying that they're actors, but they've been doing this for 10 years or and I know it's, and I know it's hard. This is, this is a massive grind, but I also know that there is, I saw a lot of hesitation to take the leap of saying that I'm going to give this, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to truly jump into this. And so I had to kind of give up um, the weekly gigs and start turning down those jobs so that I can say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not that I'm, I am an actor. When I finally started to embrace yeah. that. What, what was it that made that change happen for you? I, I mean, obviously the legitimacy of, getting my first agent and then doing commercials and being like, Oh, okay, this is what it feels like. And I went from being the guy who's being absolutely, I mean, we'll talk about race and how it gets thrown around on sets mm -hmm. in the past five years, but even, but I'm, I went from being the guy holding the umbrella and holding and putting the straw in the water and doing these things to all of a sudden somebody's holding this for you. And I'm like, wait a second. No, that's, I, I started to realize that I have a love for the craft, you know, and I hear a lot of, um the ideology of like well I need to book this check and so for more and more it was like wow that was such a thrill to just like express myself on camera and to get paid for it and to say that oh this is legitimate in the sense of that I can I can maybe chase this and and not have to work at the bar or work at work at this restaurant and that if I whatever breaking um means or, or having some some sort of success but but you find in the journey of it I felt like for the first time I I finally grasped that this is something that my voice is lended to like I felt like I was a part of creating something special and I feel like that sensation of being there on set of doing something and I don't know if it was 
probably just the lamest little commercial, but I was like, oh, I was a part of that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, yeah, and then getting in class and learning more. And Yeah, was there a, uh, as you, like you got your first reps, uh, was there a class or a coach or anything who, you know, bumped, felt you bumped you up to, you know, another level of acting or something outside of commercials other than obviously Santa Monica Community College? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and please, Please, I haven't thought about acting for so, it's so weird. So, so please align me if I'm like too, too out, uh, sporadic here. Oh, I got you. But um, yeah, I ended up going to LMU, Loyola Marymount University, but fully in production. So even at that time, like nobody, I was only seen as like a cinematographer and an editor, but secretly I was going out for all these different um, things. And I have a friend that I met named David Castaneda, who's currently on the Umbrella Academy and Sicario too. And he's, and I, 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 I think that that idea of you can't be what you can't see. And for the first time I had somebody next to me who was like, yo, I'm in this class and it's a teacher named James Reese out of Santa Monica. And when I went and it wasn't, I, I found my, I found myself very distanced from the classes I dipped my toes in. I mean, I took a commercial class like Killian's workshop. Mm-hmm. I took that one too. Yeah. I feel like that's like a rite of passage. Yep. For, you have to be a little berated by Killian before you can get to your first commercial. <laughs> There's, I don't, yeah. I mean, I think tears are guaranteed from somebody in there. Yeah. I think that should be like a, a pre-warning you get before you take that class. Absolutely. Um, but it was sitting in this class and seeing people who are, who are really giving this their all. And, um, and, and to know that this craft extends so deep like it's not a mile wide in an instant it's you know a mile deep and like it, it you can enter this ocean of of uh of training and then for me to see that okay well there is a way for me to approach a scene to break down a script um to know just like there is a visual grammar to creating a film uh so too is there uh angles of approach to your storytelling and acting and more and more i just felt more and more in love with it um, so it was that class, James Reese, and then um, it was when I found Billy, or I was I was introduced to Billy O'Leary, which is where I met Jess, and and uh, thanks, he just Jess. thanks for thanks Jess, thanks, Jess. <laughs> and to me that broke open um, that broke open this because it wasn't I, I went into a lot that felt like pseudo therapy sessions that were kind of like I could. I can smell a hustler from like a mile away. I really feel like, and, and I was walking into a lot of these where I just felt like people were hustling, you know, um, money out of these actors who are looking for emotional validation in these different ways. I'm going on way of a tangent, but no, anyways, no, no, they, actually, I think, I mean, listen, I think people who don't, who shouldn't sell acting classes are selling acting classes by the dozens. So I think that's a legitimate thing to say. So yeah, it was that. It was UCB. I got into UCB for a year and a half and, and went through the program at Upright Citizens Brigade. Um, shout out UCB. Uh, and I feel like and I, I tried Second City and it wasn't really for me. And, that, and that's what I continue to find was that it's like, oh, okay, there's not a one size fits all pair of pants here. This is, this is, a, uh, this is a stew of you taking what ingredients work for you. And, and the fact that everybody has such a unique voice and I think that that process of discovery through trying and failing like, definitely flops. I, it's funny now to think, but like there is 
that that kind of like palpitations and heart like whatever that first audition felt like you know what i mean but what that meant was that that threshold of discomfort like we were talking about earlier each time was a process of growth and um so these classes were a big part of it but so too was the actual act of getting in a room and like falling on your face or or nailing it or feeling like you nailed it but actually falling or or, and vice versa (laughs) so i feel like though if you've been doing this for five years you're Listen, I love that you can look at someone's resume and think that they're like killing the game, but then you talk to that person. It's a common theme I found, and they don't feel as though they're killing the game. Your resume is sick. You've got a lot of cool credits on there. It looks like you're doing really well. Does it feel like that? You know what, Sam? Um, thank you, but I'm thankful that I'm eternally grateful that I get to do make believe and that. Once again, maybe two years, two years ago, I would not have ever even introduced myself as an actor. I think the process of saying I am blank Mm -hmm. for me is maybe an answer to this question in the sense that for the first time I feel affirmed, not because of the resume, because I feel like for for me, I I didn't grow up in this. And and so for a long time, I chased this idea that, okay, I'm going to have like a show or something. And then this idea of... It's 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 so nice to come back to to this sphere in this room of acting and talk with you about this. But what's what's crazy is like for the past two and a half weeks, acting hasn't crossed my mind like at all. Like I've yeah. had tapes I turned down, like I there was auditions and I just didn't all of a sudden you know that you know that process of like stepping into make believe? Like that process that we do, like for example, you gotta go in the room and you have you have the next eight minutes to secure whether or not you're gonna and you have to go from having a dog and being Sam who has her parents who might be going through this and rent and, and suddenly that has to go away and, or, or fade to the background and you step into the space of being whatever this character is. Yeah. And more and more that transitional negotiation has felt like not impossible, but I don't, it's been, it's become tinted in this, in the, for these past couple of weeks. So I, I haven't, yeah. j- just as a, just as a quick kind of aside, I haven't thought about it. So I, I appreciate you bringing this up. Um, I'm, I'm such a hypocrite. Cause I definitely am like, I'm like, Oh, I need to do. Uh, I definitely have like the, the fixation of, Oh, I need to do something big next. I have to do this now. I have to, mm-hmm. I'm not satisfied, which is such a, was such a catch-all for a lot of actors obviously you know to not appreciate the fact of where you are but um I will say like everybody else I'm feeling very antsy I'm very <sighs> let me strip that away I'm very yeah. I'm very happy to be where I am uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah but that that's been a, such a process right because like that first show that I got which was not something I thought that I would ever have which is on a sitcom for Tyler Perry, I never thought that that's, I was like, oh, I'm going to do high art and cinema and I'm going to be, and even in that, I was, this is a process of hubris because if if what we do is bringing some idea of, of truth and being this like proxy of telling some emotional raw expression, that shouldn't matter what the format is. Like our job is to just bring it to life. And so I felt like it was a complete stripping away of what my idea was supposed to be of what success looks like. Yes. Because here I am. And if I just drop away 
these manufactured um fancy uh like really snobby ideas of what success looks like. All of a sudden I am in a place, I am acting and I'm getting paid for it. And I'm surrounded by extremely talented people who are working their asses off. And, and uh, when that show got canceled, cause I started out for the first time I was making money. Which show was that? That was called the pains. It was like a okay. relaunched sitcom. And I was like, I was, when that got canceled, I, cause now I'm broke again because i didn't i wasn't smart because i gave it away and i did this and I did that i wasn't smart so I, also financial literacy i feel like for actors is such such a thing of importance but um yeah honestly well because with the paychecks are you never know when they're going to come and you don't ever know when they're going to go and the size of them feels outlandish until you know nobody teaches you nobody. the way taxes and unions and everyone takes the money away we learned as my friend matt thompson said we learned calculus before we learned how to process a 1099 or do our taxes, you know? I just like, had this conversation the other this day. This is a yes. root level, uh, you know, disenfranchisement. But at that moment, I felt like it was, okay, so I thought I had what I wanted, which is like a consistent paycheck, right? People are like, oh, you're a working actor. In reality, it's like, what do you do it for? And so when that thing was gone and I was broke, I was like, do I double down on this craft that I love or do I just like go, oh, it's, you know, how, un how unfair this is that, and, and that's what it was. So it was like, okay, I got to get back into class, which is why I had to go back to Billy's and I, and I um, auditioned for IDSA, which is a London-based acting program that was starting in Los Angeles, um, which is identity and went back to UCB. And I was like, no, I just love doing this. You know, it's like, I love doing this. I love doing it for a year. Nothing, nothing really happened but I wasn't worried about it anymore. You know what I mean? It was like, I'm trusting that if I'm building my instrument, like that moment will come. And at the same time, I'm, I'm also writing, I'm also producing, I'm also directing and things like that. Not waiting for that door to kind of be open for me. Do you feel like finding that satisfaction of the fact that the acting was the enjoyable part, regardless of what it was on or about, kind of settled you even when you weren't working? Yeah, yeah. And obviously it costs something, right? Like these things cost, like for me to put that up, it costs something. I'm I'm charging a credit card, which I, once again, does not like endorse information, like as far as the smart way to live. But I, but I was, here's, here's what it really was too. Like I was betting on myself, you know, I feel like if we're going to, if we're going to bet on anything and really what I, and honestly, Sam, like I look around and you've had such amazing people and I'm still kind of considering myself burgeoning you know like oh okay i'm going to but but in the craft side i feel confident now that like put me in a room in front of it which kind of goes to probably a, a different conversation but in the sense that there was this there was this time in that year where i had to take a job and i started a production company out of college with a buddy so we were doing small scale and is that, the mats? that is the mats yes <laughs> did a little google <laughs> hey um which is currently um sleeping okay Okay. I like that term. Um, but uh, on standby. But um, I mean, obviously acting is taking the forefront. But mm -hmm. during that time, like we had a job in Alaska and I had to do it. And cool. it was like, you know, yeah, that's what you think. <laughs> <laughs> it always sounds cooler than it actually is. Then you see the, you see the, uh, the iceberg and it is, oh, it's sad, Sam. Oh, it's sad. She was 
it was the bluest blue I've ever seen, but it was, you, you come into this recessed, uh, you know, you're on this boat, you come into, you're going miles and miles and there's little uh, chunks of ice and you're like, well, and then as you come up to the iceberg, the guy goes, yeah, it used to be, you know, eight miles back that way when I was a kid. And this thing is just covered in dirt. Anyways, wow. I got a text from a casting director, which I've never gotten before. And he was like, hey, we want to see you for this thing tomorrow. Can you make it? And, and you I'm, in Al- Alaska? I'm in Alaska. I'm broke. <laughs> I'm trying to make a little bit of money here. But I was going in my head. I'm like, I got to like, I got to show up. You know what I mean? I have to just show up. Yeah. And so came out of pocket for a little Cessna. That's that. I had to leave early, you know, and, and so this little Cessna is almost crashing into these mountains. It's like three of us in there. The guy's like, yeah, somebody went down last week right there. You know? No, like, no, yeah. I don't do that. I don't do yeah. that. And have you ever been in one? It's like, like the little puddle jumper things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One time when I was in like fourth grade and maybe that's why I'm terrified of planes to this day. It is. You realize just how fragile and impossible this feat of flight is when you're like, in that. You, this much between you and the wall <laughs> oh my lord yeah and there's the mountain that yep. i guess we crashed into oh my god that's wild so you flew back for this audition flew back landed i tried to sweet talk my way back onto the plane to la so i could land at 6 a.m and get into the car and get there by eight and Ugh. i finally did and i smell bad but i go back and, I, I, and i'm in the car and now i'm hustling to the thing and when i go in to the casting director's office He's like, yeah, you know, we want to see you. This is a national commercial. I was like, that's like, that's what I've been saying. I was gonna do. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do this. Like, this is the time. Like, if I don't do this, then I'm. So I. So that's where I was like, okay, I just got to make it work. So when I get there, I run in. I'm. I'm barely making it, and the whole room was a room of like white dudes with flannels and beards and glasses, and they're like, hey, Matt, thank you so much for coming. We wanted to see you just as an alternate, just as an alternate option. So thank you so much for being here. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Oh, oh, but these things are like, you know what? I'm this much out of pocket right now in the red, but I bet on myself and I'm going to continue to do that. You know, I'm going to like, that's what I was like. The essence of that action to me is, and even when we come down to in a scene, I think not in the selfishness of like, as an individual, but in the sense of trusting an impulse, it was like, no, I got to do that. I'm going to go with that motion. And it costs something for sure. But that money will be made back. I was, I just, I just stopped worrying. I tried to stop worrying about it. And of course I don't have children and I don't have a family to take care of, but um, there's been like moments like that where if I'm going to bet on anything or anyone, I, I, I better start betting on myself. Um, I love that. That's such a cool, like, self-motto. You know, and, and not, not to, like, in this, in this gateway of not selfishness of, like, I'm going to take, it's, it's just in the sense of, like, here is a risky situation in the sense that I may lose, but what I can gain and what I will gain regardless is the fact that I, that I believed enough in <laughs> my right to belong in that space that I'm going to go ahead and jump. Yeah. You know, you know, I think actors get a bad rap for being selfish, but I think um, true self preservation would be truly selfish, which would mean you wouldn't take constant 
leaps into failure. You wouldn't constantly set yourself up to, for no's all the time. I think if I was truly protecting myself, I wouldn't be an actor. You wouldn't be an actor. Absolutely not. <laughs> my, my homegirl Miranda said, you know, I, I've made a distinction between self-honoring and selfish. Mm. Like I am honoring myself in this moment. And obviously the people I want in my space are also honoring themselves while still, because also we're engaged in the practice of listening and responding. And you know, when somebody's not listening, obviously, mm-hmm. like, you know, when somebody's like, this is my world, this is my scene, this is my script, this is my project, this is my film. This is... And that is the balance. And that's, I'm not trying to do some dogmatic, that's the balance of life, but, but that balance of self honoring and that balance of listening and responding is, is completely part of the art it's an art yeah even when it doesn't feel like it even when you're flying back for a national commercial audition to be the alternate pick oh man alternate oh this is all it's all codified you know alternate pick you want to see a light-skinned dude coming in there can he you know do we want a minority choice is this a thing yeah let's talk about that let's talk about being in this world of acting when i feel like So I came to LA almost 10 years ago and I was always, obviously I'm a white girl. I was always in white rooms all the time. Do you feel like when you started in the business five years ago, do you feel like you were often uh, the only black man in the room? Do you feel like you were, you know, did you feel safe? Did you feel like, what were, what was that like coming into this business? Um, I feel like there's so many people who paved the way for me to step onto. Obviously, like I stand on very great. Do you hear that? No, no, you're good. You're I'm good. tripping. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that uh, I stand on very tall shoulders, and so I think there's a lot of. I know that there's a lot of people. Um, like, have you ever seen Hollywood Shuffle? No. Oh man, was that Townsend? Is that Robert Townsend? Mm. Hmm. No, that's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he maxed out a bunch of credit cards to make this film. And basically there's this joke in it about an acting school where you can learn as a black man to be like a pimp, a drug dealer, or a slave, I think. And wow. it's so funny because it's like, now, but when I came in, it was more the, I think the, once again, like there's the disenfranchisement and that feeling of being marked when you walk in a room. You're not mark, and honestly, you you don't have to look much further. And I brought this up in acting class a long time ago, and in a writing class, like you don't have to look much further than the written word to find that distinction. You don't find, unless people are starting to do it now, like uh, parentheses Caucasian American. You find parentheses African American. You find parentheses Asian American. You find parentheses. You you are marking. I'm marked when I walk into a room as like we were saying the alternate options a lot of times meaning that i do not stand in that central idea of what power looks like or what standardization looks like um but um i i you know there's that's a good question i mean i walked into rooms where honestly it wasn't most of the time it wasn't people I wasn't the only one. There was times like that, but mainly it was like guys that look like me, but they're just better looking. <laughs> it's like, I was like, oh, y'all are the ones that I've been kind of like, okay, so these are the, this is the Highlander doppelganger, but that is also the thing where then I started finding what it actually is, is an extremely 
encouraged, um, supportive network of people who are all saying, you know, like, I'm really hoping you get this, bro. You know, like, I, yeah, I really, I really hope you get this. Um, the commercial aspect was always funny because you find kind of the uh, sh- glamorized, sheen, streaked, painted over diversity uh, attempt. I don't, I don't know how to put that. Like, it's like, this isn't really an accurate depiction um of america where maybe you're the token or maybe there's there's things like that where you show up and you're the token to kind of just play the wall i definitely felt that in the production space mm, i felt okay. that i feel that, that behind the camera you know what i mean when, I, when i'm there I, I've, I've met one black cinematographer in, in my time and he would tell me about how his ac is the one who would get talked to by the producers because his ac is white because there's a certain visual language of like what your color means when you're in production and it was rare to be on a set where the room was had had black folk and as a pa even i was called like the black pa at some or the minority pa like hey can we get that pa's hands for the shot we need to like we need to get that some hands in here to to just kind of mix it up a little bit and you're constantly almost a sprinkling you know you you feel like a season that is sort of like added to the dish in order to bring the blandness out and give some sort of i don't know semblance of of a gesture of culture. Um, did that do, what effect did that have on you as a person then in that space? Did you feel like you were actually yourself when you stepped onto a set like that? Um, no, you, you felt like, you felt like you're walking a tightrope sometimes, you know, you feel like you're walking this sort of thin line. And if I step this way or that way, and that's not even a start to say about like, can you sound more urban? Or can you sound, can you, those those sorts of notes, you you know what I mean? Um, That the only place I didn't see that is on Tyler Perry's set, which is so funny because Tyler Perry obviously isn't really talked about in the space of creation because, because of a stigma, I think that exists around the quality of his, even though I I almost see it as, is like, how is this so dissimilar than the soap opera space that so many great actors came through because you're just, Yo, like Sam, like you're doing, let me think how many pages we, like you're doing two episodes, three episodes, like in a day, in a day you're doing 60 pages. In a day you're doing like. Wow. In a day you're, you just kind of have, and then still, you know, the job is like, am I connected in the space? Like you're trying not even to do it. Some, some days it is like, can I just be here? Can I be here and get these and, and, and not be on the, well, you know, was the Oval the first job you ever worked with him on? So the first one was The Pains, that one I got Oh, canceled. he did The Pains. Okay, got it, got it. Which, which was very, you know, there was a lot of edification. But then, you know, the, um, I gotta stop drinking this year, Mate. <laughs> um, uh, uh, the film he did, so once again, like a year goes by where I'm just grinding and I'm doing commercials, and I'm doing these things, and I got a call. I, I haven't, I've never talked to this man. I've never, maybe I, I said thank you to him one time on the set before the thing. I, he just called me and he said, hey, I got this script. Um, I got Cicely Tyson and, and Miss Felicia Rashad and Brisha Webb. And I was like, Cicely Tyson? Like Miss, Miss Cicely Tyson? She's uh, Felicia Rashad, okay. And he's like, yeah, so go ahead and read that script. Um, uh, I've, uh, I've been wanting, you know, I see how you work and I really appreciate it. And I was like, it's been a year. I never talked to this person. I thought that they hated me. I was like, oh, I'm, t- I'm terrible. And, and they hated me and it was bad. And that's why I was canceled. You know, once again, that's ego, right? 
Right, right. We always make us the problem. Ego. Oh, I, sh- I shouldn't have, I don't know, turned that way. <laughs> um, and, uh, and suddenly I was doing a, a feature film in five days because that's how he shoots. But I'm, I'm, I'm standing next to Cicely Tyson, a legend. I'm standing next to Felicia Rashad, a legend. Brisha Webb, who is in her own right, you know, becoming somebody who is a legend. And, and, and uh, Makad, um, Bro- uh, Makad Brooks. Um, and each of these things, I'm like, oh, how did, but, but, but it was so affirming because it's like, oh, I've been in this space of just like, this is my craft, you know? And for like, we were talking about that affirmation of stepping into a space and saying like, this is what I do. Not waiting for someone to be like, you're an actor. Yes. So you like, didn't have to like put on a new hat to show up for that set. You were already there. Right. Cause you, cause we, we, we you know, we'd be in the, we'd be in the gym. Who am I? We're, we are, uh, you know, we work it out. And, and uh, I think that that exploration and you start to find whether it's your own actorisms or places of comfort that you kind of retreat to or mannerisms or those things. It's like, okay, unlearn. Oh, new things, new explorations, new ways to break down sex. And so to explore what is infinite, it wasn't about the job for that period of time. Yeah. Um, Sam, you asked something so specific and I went on a tangent here about like race and about yeah, uh, we. I mean, listen, Brianna Tyler Perry said is actually something I'm really curious about. But I, I, that's I think how I can wrap that around is like, how did you feel functioning on a set like Tyler Perry's set versus when you felt like there was tokenism when you were working as a PA on a set? Oh yeah, I mean, it's just. I, I mean, you're constantly aware of. Whether, whether that's, you know, because meanwhile, I was working at a bar, you know, and, and you get it's and, and that's and that's that's the that's a quote um, from a poet. Uh, and it was that, you know, race or white supremacy isn't the shark, it's the ocean or it isn't the shark, it's the water. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And so you go from days of like kind of having people be like, oh, my God, like I I bet you just uh, wait, uh, it's just very offensive things like about the exotification, sexualization um, uh, of the color of your skin. And you step onto a set where you are not really feel like you're seen. And there's a lot of people too, who are, who are great. And then also behind the camera, you know, there was jobs where I would have like one time I, they tried to pin something that the producer did on me um, as far as like his incompetency and, and, and started attributing a lot of these characteristics and stereotypes. You were loud, you were extremely disrespectful. You were cussing at people. Um, and I've never, I, I, it's not, it's not, it's not me. Um, I don't, uh, get that vibe, <laughs> you know? And so in those, in those moments, and this goes back to sort of that racial anxiety, I think in the, uh, the ability that you could, that you can consolidate a human being that at any time I could be as nervous as we are about losing the job. You know, I was like, well, I, I don't think I really have it until I see it until the check is cut until I see the finished product because that fear-based mechanism of like at any time I can be kind of ripped away um, that the job will be ripped away from you. And um, you know, that goes back to, I've, I've been, I've been arrested for something I didn't do. I've been like, um, you know, violently is you get assaulted and, and berated and, and called uh, the N word and 
all these things. And in those moments, like this is not so different for me because what happens is that I'm no longer Matthew Law. Like I get, I am the N word. <laughs> like that's that's it. You get stripped down to that. That danger always exists because that danger is you're constantly being reminded that at any time I can just reduce you down to that fabled um, monster or that 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 kind of other. Uh, and so sometimes that odor rise on set and then you step onto a Tyler Perry set and the boom operator is holding, uh, is, is wearing, is like, has his dreads out and is extremely capable and competent. And it's not, cause that's always what you hear a stigma about black operations move slowly. And then Tyler is like, say what you will about his shows. The way he moves is like ridiculous. I've never seen somebody do uh, 112 pages in a day. Like if that's what he wants to do, then like, oh, okay. That's so wild. the camera woman's Filipino. The, the medic is the boldest white guy I've ever seen. There's a group of people that it looks like the United Nations. And, and that's what, that's what Ava DuVernay says about her writer's room. It's like, I'm not looking for diversity. I'm looking for reality. Nine out of 10 of the people I see on the street are not white dudes. So the way that we frame these things and also in the acting space, and I, you know, I have people, friends even, who are actors who are like, oh, man, I wish I was black. Like, what? So this, this is to people who have felt privileged their entire life. Equality feels like they are being robbed of something to have some sense of equity inserted into the system where they've, where they've felt privileged. And that short-sightedness of, is uh is, is really is really frustrating because you don't have to look much farther than like usc's annenberg report on the top 100 films to be like all right there's not really that big of a shift yes and you know i've uh tried to facilitate some of these conversations recently with actors because uh it's come up from from myself from a ton of other actors um about you know the what was formally called the push for diversity but what we're learning was actually representation in film and TV and how, you know, that's actually long, long, long overdue, but how uh, white actors have taken it almost personally in a way that feels really terrible. Um, so I've had a lot of those conversations recently with, with other actors who um have said those type of things yeah and and that uh that anxiety of the job and and that's why a lot of these you know acting classes i would i would kind of immediately push away because all i found were people who i think were very frustrated with and it's an illogical thing what we do doesn't make sense it is not there's not really there's when you don't have control and when, like you were saying, when you deal with this much rejection, obviously you're going to want a scapegoat or you're going to want some semblance of control. Um, and also I think a lot of people do need therapy, you know, for like, I'm, I'm and I'm, I'm not saying that in a dismissive way or, or, in a, or, or in a flippant way. Like, I think that, a lot of people are working out and we will continue to work it out. That's what it is to be an artist. I think a lot of times is you're working out a lot of our existential fears or demons or however you put it through your work. But 
and I think Shia LaBeouf is a great example of that where he's like, I was so reliant on going to this place of rage towards his father. And he was like, I, I actually was very limited in my capabilities of, of, in my access to emotions. When in reality, when I worked that out, now I can work with lightness and I can move and I can shape myself, not through this sort of hole of despair. Um, that's a massive tangent, but, uh, I think it's relevant. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, as far as destigmatizing, um, therapy and mental health, of course, then it's like, well, then we start talking about healthcare and then it's, <laughs> you know, we could go on for a bit, huh? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a river. It might be a, uh, you might have to come back to talk about that podcast. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think uh, this is, how do I, uh, I am, I'm relearning how to talk about race in the media um, because mm. I think I never properly learned. I think I Word. never properly took the time to educate myself um, with as many friends. And, you know, I live in LA. I have, it's, 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 the, it's truly a melting pot of a world, but I just, uh, I think a lot of us are relearning a lot of things that we should have already known. Um, and so having these type of conversations that could perhaps facilitate talking about like actors, welcoming everyone into the world like we it's almost like we need some sort of validation all the time and like um as a white person in the world i've gotten nothing but validation and so for me to think that i deserve it via acting jobs as well all the time is just like such an example of white supremacy it's shocking i, I uh so i'm hoping that other people start to have these realizations as well it's beautiful that we're talking about it because the status quo is so accepted you know that yeah you know you're 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 right i'll i don't have to go far and once again acting classes i feel like are a lot of times like an on the ground look at what those sort of um and that is and that is this idea of grasping it's it's like well if i well if i get it then i'll be enough you know like i'll be enough if i get it if i get that part and now I have a series. Feel, right. Yes. I'll finally feel, I'll finally be fill in the blank. Yeah, right. I'll, I'll finally, I'll finally be that. And, um, mm, and the way that that ties in with, like we were saying, the, the, these comments of, from white actors. And of course, you know, like for my black female friends who, who, who are, uh, who act, they, they are, they're constantly dealing with, uh, not enoughness or too muchness mm -hmm. you know and very specifically about whether that's colorism or whether that's uh, the way that they speak or whether that's how they're fitting in and of course this is a job that that is about a specificity of vision and how you fit into them so much of it is out of your hands but at that same time once again i'll point to the usc annenberg study on i think it's actually a top 1200 film it starts on the page too. So, so that's, that's why I think for actors, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge, I'm, I'm a huge uh, advocate for so many actors I know are like, well, I'm a writer, but, but I'm not really because I'm an actor. And it's like this, if, if I, if you learn anything from seeing Issa and Donald and uh, Lena Waithe and um, ooh, Rami and, you know, and the list goes on. Um, 
we can bring these in, uh, these visions to life. And that's, and that's, uh, that's at the core fundament of like for a fundamental thing of like, well, I'm waiting for somebody to deliver me my dream. Yeah. I'm sorry, Sam, I kind of went off on a. No, I don't think you did at all. Uh, you've also been super, super involved in the protests that we're in. We talked about that a little bit before we started recording. Um, mm. How has that felt for you? Because you said you've turned down some auditions. You've just been like kind of focused in what you know, you've been doing. How has that felt for you? Did it feel, do you feel like a a human out in the world, like standing up for your like rights. Do you feel, I feel like there's something so special about this right now that I, I just get really excited watching people be passionate, which is like all I want to see from actors. Um, so tell me, tell me about that uh, the past couple of weeks for you. Um, so for example, like it's crazy. I, I don't know. My spirit told me move and I jumped right. And at first it was, on Wednesdays today, actually. Um, well, I guess when we're taping this, they, at, at uh, the Hall of Justice, they have uh, Jackie Lacey must go. Jackie Lacey is the DA mm-hmm. of Los Angeles, who um, 601 that counts in the past seven years. She's going on eight years and up for re-election where she hasn't prosecuted any of these officers who have had violent infractions. And um, whether that's between them, um, who have had violent infractions. And that goes back to even the fact that there's over 1,500 shootings since 2001 at LAPD has not prosecuted. So this has been a process of education for me and it's iterative, right? That every single time is a different iteration of like, j- just like, well, hopefully you get a rehearsal, but yeah, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be cheesy and relating it back to acting, but it's hard for the brain not to do that in the sense that you're not going to come with your best thing every time. And every time I'm watching, because first the catharsis and the voicing of your opinion, which is once again, integral, integral to the American system, um, to our democracy. So it's been incredible that over the past two and a half or however many weeks, because time has sort of seemed to have disappeared. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it was, it's, it's been passionate and it's been in, turned into being informed. It's been ugly seeing it being twisted. I mean, I was there on third and Fairfax when they, when the cops got, got, um, and then the sheriffs and, you know, um, and I was there in Santa Monica and I've been seeing a completely different narrative than what I see gets funneled down to the high fructose corn syrup sort of uh, slushy of kind of social media posts and curated, uh, tailored, alarmist, uh, urgent uh, images that I, that I see people bringing up, which is, once again, that conflation of violence and looting with a peaceful protest. Yeah. And, what's crazy to me is that this has been the most educated I've ever felt in what America really means. And it's also realizing how unprecedented it is. And maybe that's what you're feeling too, where when I go out there, the people to my left and to my right, as I'm about to get arrested are like young Latina um, women and, and my trans siblings behind me and a little uh, white lady over here and a bunch of my black homies and a hulking, dude who I can't even tell you what and all of a sudden the idea of these very real socially enacted barriers of race start to erase and I and I see for the first time what our democracy and what it looks like when we speak up for what is wrong and I've seen the hesitancy of a lot of people who are like concerned about how it's going to affect people and like one of my homies was there with me and I 
I was like, I, I got to go talk because I've just been taking these bullhorns and ended up uh, leading a few of these protests and, and then amplifying and supporting where I can. But he was like, I want to say something. But what if somebody sees me in my career kind of like, and I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, and if you, if you continue to follow this logic, like a career for what? And who's seeing what that you say? So you feel moved to speak the truth on a matter that you know is about human rights and about morality. More than that, it's about the fundamental and foundational aspect of building a society that we've been promised. This is, we, we live in a lawful society that law and that, that civil contract has been broken time and time again. I don't have to go much further than even the coronavirus numbers that show that African-Americans are over half and then account for 60% of deaths. Why? Right. Okay. Follow this logic. So your spirit's moving you once again, even in acting, you have an impulse to move, to say, to speak, to express. And instead you're going to choke it down and throttle that because of some imaginary El Dorado, Golden City, that is sparkling and clean, but that holds no. If 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 your truth is not accepted there, then why do you want to live in this space? Yeah. And 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 you have thirty thousand people around you who are all echoing the same sentiment. Physically, during a life-threatening pandemic, and it is, it is simultaneously, the most encouraging empowering um movement you know that i've ever been a part of and it very much makes you recontextualize and analyze well what what does my art mean what does it mean when i say no or yes to something so when i come home from something where i've gotten hit with batons and i'm breathing in tear gas and i see sheriffs spraying indiscriminate uh incapacitating rounds because some white boy threw a water bottle at them and i had to grab them and then shooting at us and then we almost get arrested and a cop car gets set on fire by an instigator, which I, I, which once again is different than the peaceful protests. Yes. And once again, peaceful does not mean polite. I'll make that distinction. Like civil disobedience is our right. Anyways, you come, you come back and you come back from seeing this beautiful blossoming of mutual aid and people who look nothing like each other, supporting one another in a fight for justice. Um, which supposedly is what this supposedly is what this country is found on. If I look at the Declaration of Independence, um, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created, created equal. All people are created equal. Um, you know that. Anyways, uh, obviously that contract not lived up to. But anyways, and then you come home, and I come home to. Uh, I had to pull this up. Like uh, it was it was an audition for like a fruit, like a hyperactive fruit, who is an assistant who knows all the secrets and is always in on the hottest gossip and and he's a chatty cucumber and I was just like guys I can't I can't go I can't do that right now like I can't no I can't make pulp right now you know yeah and and I think that as artists we should have have those negotiations of like okay well what is my why that's why I ask people when they act, it's like, well, what is your why? And I understand that a lot of times we, ha we need a job. We need a job, but we also have to question sometimes whether we really need that job. And if it's not detracting, if it's just dumb, like, yes, but what you feel like is a novel take on something is really just entrenched in an ancient idea that doesn't want to budge, which is that, like MLK in his Birmingham letters writes, and this is what I've been bringing up and my friends are probably sick of hearing it, but it's the, he says that the greatest obstacle to freedom, 
for black people is not the Ku Klux Klan or the white counselor, which is like an outright sort of, you know, white supremacist Mm -hmm. group, but it's the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative piece, which is the absence of tension rather than a positive piece, which is the presence of justice and which, and who gives a paternalistic sort of controlling timeline of saying, well, it, it is to come just wait your turn. I don't, I don't know how much laundry to air out here, but I, but as, as long as we are complicit in actively making these images that are revisionist and paint over a history that is so brutal and so specifically entrenched in white supremacy, um, then we are a cog in the machine that's moving consistently moving backwards or damming up that river that flows towards something that is more representative of truth, which is, which is evolution. So, but it's so desperate, right? Cause you're like, ah, oh, but I just got an offer to do this thing. And, and I don't know, I, I, maybe that's for each artist and individual to negotiate, but, um, but that's why as we demand, not just the representation, but the quality of that representation, who's in the room, what's behind it. Now I'm really rambling. No, not at all. Not not rambling at all. I just wanted to let you talk. Um, That was really beautiful. I think I want to know what you want to see then as uh, as we go back into you know whenever coronavirus runs its course a year. I don't know what's happening. Um, You are potentially going to Tyler Perry Studios to film Oval. Is that happening still? supposedly and i think that that was on deadline so i so it's cool to talk about but that yeah. that yeah there's a very extensive plan and this has been two months in the making mm-hmm. and once again i really appreciate tyler because his clarity was was like yo we don't have to do this if you're uncomfortable if you have any reservations about this like we won't do it and that's okay but um, there, you know, he employs hundreds of people and, and he's really developed this, this network uh, and this community of people who, who are obviously hurting. A lot of people are hurting. And, and, and clearly, as, as we see, uh, a lot of people are eager to get back to work. Driving around L.A. today, it was as if, as, as if we're not pushing for 200,000 deaths by September. It is October. very weird out there. Yeah. I, Yo, it's, it's my brain can't quite function. Our capacity for self delusion is so great. So oh my god, <laughs> what a I, I'm a hypocrite. I went and got my hair cut. I know. I <laughs> listen. I got. I've. I've a. I got a haircut. I. I understand. You know, but but obviously, I'm. I weighed the measures. I wasn't going into like TJ Maxx or Home Goods to buy like a knit basket for whatever reason, <laughs> and you know, or packing City Hall with a bunch of armed dudes yelling, let us in which i guess is not uh, which are good people as number 45 said they're good people just talk to them (sighs) Uh, disparity everywhere everywhere Uh, but yeah so he has a very extensive plan working with emory university working with sanjay gupta which is like okay Mm. and and it's the the checks and balances and the measures of like coming into quarantine and working and (laughs) And shooting a season of television in a week, um, which you know, under, I mean, under if these, it sounds like if it's if anybody can do it, it's going to be him. 
you know, and you just got to show up. And, and that's where the immediacy and, and obviously the preparation. Um, and it feels like, I felt like if I could do this, and there's such an affirmation in that, and I think that's why those tough jobs where you're like, oh, well, this isn't my HBO lead <laughs> that I, that I it, the value that you are getting in these spaces has, I really deeply believe has to be appreciated and, and reflected on. And, and it's a privilege, right? Every time we, we step into these spaces to do make-believe. Mm-hmm. for a living and to meet new people and to listen and respond and create out of nothing emotion and 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 charged energy and and hopefully a story we're telling right that's the that's the hope um beyond but, oh go ahead mm-hmm. okay okay um beyond beyond that beyond the show what do you what would you like to see come out of all of this all of you know, it, it, the, the worst things bring the best sometimes. Like obviously uh, George Floyd was just the final straw on this back that like, you know, brought about some amazing things that are happening in, in micro ways across the world. But what do you want to see in terms of your career and in terms of film and television, um, you know, past coronavirus? Right. I mean, aside from if we're having the conversation about like invest divesting right divest from police when people say defund the police and people get nervous it's like read into exactly what that means but it's also rethinking and reimagining and having the curiosity to think of a better way for not just public safety but how we can rework this entrenched system uh of disparity between not just have and have nots but specifically about white supremacy like it's crazy so crazy that it comes back to that for me and and if we're just specifically talking about our art for how those things back up mm, like like yo like all right if i'm on a set and i see an lapd officer who's getting kind of paid out just to kind of stand there for me that is a misallocation of your budget so it it, but it's also going to take because you're not necessary there, sir. And I feel like that, that is the idea of how we structure our idea of safety. Like what does safety mean to you? And, and then why does that feel like that is safe to you? And, and for all my people who, and uh, Dr. Hmm? Yep. Dr. Robin D'Angelo, um, who did white fragility, obviously is like a great thing. I'll point to my, white brothers and sisters and siblings too if you're feeling triggered by that uh and also go to uh what's her name um what's her name from uh why am i gonna say star wars the the prequels uh natalie portman's mm. social media if you want to see somebody who who had the same reservations and then try to rethink that so so for me not just in the art but in the way that we create the art there has to be that equity um and that goes back to the education that goes back to what we tell the children what they can do and what they're capable of and it goes to the images that they see on screen so when i'm watching green book and i watch the director ferelli refuse to answer a question at a round table about about the political message of a movie called green book where the green book never makes an appearance my grandfather had to use a green book to drive through the south where he's from Mm -hmm. that is inherently a political film because it's inherently a racial film but you have a black character who has no autonomy other than how he relates to the white protagonist. 
he doesn't have a relationship with his friend, which is untrue to history too. So for me, it's like, we have to reckon with the images that we've put on screen. We have to reckon with the fact that our first superhero in America and pop culture was a Klansman from Birth of a Nation. We have to reckon with the fact that the first piece of pop culture from America was Jim Crow era minstrelism and was blackface. Like that's the first piece of pop culture we had. We had nothing original except for the commodification and the packaging of black pain. That is not so different than me turning on something and seeing somebody shucking and mm. So I hope to never be, mm, I pledge to not be complicit in that. Um, and to, to do that work, but also we have to create from our own. And, and, and that's, and I'm saying that there are so many culturally specific things. And that's why when I watch Ram, Rami, or Rami, I'm sorry, uh, Rami Yusuf, uh, his show, it's so specific to his experience. And that is beautiful to me. So I think if we can consider, I think if we can invite more empathetic storytelling and that means that the rooms have to look like that that means that your their bottom line below the line your bottom line has to reflect it and your below the line has to reflect that yeah um and when i was standing there on third and fairfax and i watched right like kids on parents shoulders and i'm seeing thousands and thousands of people all gathered um and chanting for justice and i see a guy standing up on the on the stoplight with his fist up but on that corner is the writers guild of america Right. And I was thinking, who's going to tell this story and who's going to star in this story? And I was like, does this story star Sandra Bullock? No hate to Sandra Bullock. Love you. I don't know her. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> does it, does it star, uh, was Sandra Bullock the blind side? Yes. So as long as we do not come out of this space and accelerate past that threshold of shame and discomfort, and instead of receding back into the shadow of nurturing and licking the wounds that is the guilt of white supremacy, which is to say the white savior complex and all these different things. Yeah. If these questions can be aired out, if, if, you're, if you're writing a uh, writer's room, like Ava DuVernay said, reflects reality. And then if our images that we show on screen are more empathetic, um, then I'd be, I think that that's a world worth fighting for. Mm. Man, that was beautiful. <laughs> I should have prepared. I'm like, I'm like, did I, am I saying what I want to say right yeah, now? No, you're saying I, I mean, listen, I think that I think you're. <laughs> it's so exhausting, though, you know, because you think about it and you're like, yeah, what, what does it look like? And yeah. it looks, it looks like, yeah, it looks, it looks like it looks like generations, you know, like it looks like time and consistency. And it looks like a complete reworking of policy. Cause that's, what's crazy when we go to nine 11 and you see all the images that come out, it's shock doctrine of like, see enhanced interrogation, big finger air quotes, mm -hmm. isn't bad. Cause Jack Bauer does it and it gets the information we need. Right. So when I see that on the news, I go, yeah, I'm desensitized already to the dehumanization of human beings because you've us versus you've, you've me and them me, you know, it's yeah. oh, okay. That's the other. And that's a bad other. Right. So the more that we can expand, um, I forgot who said that, but expand that circle of human concern, the more that, the more that we can challenge and have like compelling narratives that rethink the violent 
even though once again I'm a hypocrisy, I love action films. Mm-hmm. Um, but singular individual triumph and and I hope to see the collective triumph out of this. I um just as much as I hope to see that we are such a fluid society. We are such a grand in scope in our imaginations, and yet we feel so constricted down to telling the same story over and over. Um so whatever that means. Yeah. No, listen. I'll it's I feel like I've been thinking a lot as you, as you No, I love it. I love it. I uh all I want to do is listen because I don't have I I my experience is going to be different from yours, it's going to be different from someone else's and all I want to do right now is listen. And if 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 that kind of listening could translate into other aspects of the world, then I think that we would be in a completely different place. I have had the fastest education of my life in the past two weeks. Um, but it also feels like it's been the slowest education of my life. And, right. and mm. all, and all I want to do is just, just, just have these conversations that like make people a little uncomfortable and like make, maybe make something in me think, oh, I am wrong or, oh, I'm, you know what I mean? Like I, I want to push people a little bit more to feel a little, they kind of want to pause this podcast because they feel bad. Like I want to, I want to have those discussions. I want, I want your word. And that's, that's, that's the, you know, the philosophy of, of the, the mythological idea of American innocence of white innocence. I didn't know. Oh, I didn't, I couldn't find, there's not, they're not out there. I, I, you know, even as a owner of a small production company, it's like, well, look, I, I want to staff this up with, uh, uh, I specifically for this story that concerns a black female protagonist, uh, we need to find a, a, a black female cinematographer. Well, there isn't any, that is a lie. That is a lie. I had an actor friend the other day be like, ah, oh, I'd love to play the lead in Pocahontas when they make the live action version. And I was like, do you have any tribal affiliation or do you have any indigenous root? Like, no, but you know, there's not any Native American actors is what they said. And I was like, you can't, you, we swallow these, we swallow these stories because it's so comforting mm. in order for us to continue to have a world where our supremacy uh, can function because it costs me nothing, you know? And, and I think as an actor, the worst thing is like, oh, that person got my job. And obviously that is an important part of drive, but to watch that ego and where that ego isn't just ego, it's, it is a like Voltron like arm or limb as part of what white supremacy has taught you, which is what I want, I get has to be challenged. And that discomfort is an important threshold to feel and then push past in order for us to evolve. I do not want the same society. Once again, these numbers do not lie. The numbers do not, do not lie to reflect, uh, not that you can quantify sorrow and suffering, but you don't have to look much farther than that to see how many people are dying and um, at, at, uh, uh, heavily, heavily disparity. Uh, I'm sorry, with, with such great disparity. Um, there's something about on set, you know, when, when you're looking around and none of your, none of your hair and makeup team um, looks different than you know a white lady um or a white dude or has has any there's there's no melanated hair and makeup people like why i just think start asking the questions okay well why isn't there any uh black latino asian american um 
indigenous writers in this room, but yet we are telling a story that is central to that or not even central to that. It is a magical realism tale or it is a science fiction tale or it is a policing tale. All these things are within our society. Why don't we have that? Why do I not have somebody who is across the screen from me who, so I think is we have to question and then we have to act obviously, but, um, but yeah, we don't have to look much farther than a lot of the sets. Um, which once yeah. again, education, access to even the fact that you could do these things. It's true. I'm sorry. I am. It's true. You're not, don't you say you're rambling because you're saying Ooh, I'm sweating. <laughs> I'm sweating. I'm oh sweating. my God. Listen, I've held you past your hour, but I, I, I'm sorry. Oh yeah. Yeah. Way. way I just, over the top. No, God, no, please. Like I said, I just want to like, I just want to listen. I just want to hear stories. I just want to, I want us to know not just like, oh, we're going to do better, but like how exactly we all do better. How do we serve our group? How do we serve our fellow actor? How do we serve, you know, how do we, uh, how do we try and elevate the voices of a female cinematographer? How do we, uh, a black female cinematographer? How do we like, that's, these are these are the conversations I want to have. So this is this is important. Right. And that pipeline of of how these power structures continue to not just exist, but to thrive. And I feel like having a critical mind and a critical eye to what we eat up um, and then to what we continue to regurgitate. Like what are you speaking and who are you speaking to? So I think in the hyper local sense of like in your acting class or watching what you say. Or if somebody calls you out for like, well, I wish I was, uh, yeah, man, it must be really good for you right now. It's like, what does that, what does that mean, and what does that link back to when you say that? And don't ask me to tell you or educate you for that. Um, but but why why do you think that you're saying that? And I think that for mm, what our sets look like, what our stories look like, that is that is such a. I think that was Angela Davis that says, you know being radical is just grasping something by the root. So I think that if, I hope I'm not misquoting that, but you know, um, and to to continue with Angela Davis, you know, we have to love and take care of one another. Um, So when Brie Larson or somebody uh, uses their power to say, their negotiation and bargaining power to say, well, you know, I wanna have an inclusion writer on this. All right, what does the inclusion writer mean? Well, it means that we need to dictate these this sort of representation um, on screen or saying this isn't enough or saying that um, I'm willing to, once again, have that cost, um, whether that's people looking at me like I'm crazy. Because once again, are you really crazy? Like that's, that's what it keeps coming back to for me. What side of history are you standing on? And I, and I feel like even though we're taking it slow, uh, if we can, we want to evolve in I think our empathetic understanding uh, so with trans representation on screen with Asian American men and, and them being de- stripped of sexualization, like the, the deep histories of, and then, uh, you know, the litany and long scroll I could read off for, for, for the um, African American, for black figures, black, black people on screen. Um, how do we tell the truth, right? Just like how, when we show up on set, how do I tell the truth today? Um, how do I tell the truth in this moment? And maybe since we're just talking about acting, you know, I feel like you have to look into what that truth really means because it's, because it's also, we're also framed in a historical context, right? Like for what Hollywood and for what these stories and for what the bottom line really means. So fight for it. Yeah. 
I think it's really important to remind everyone too that it's not just you don't have to be someone who gets a contract with writers in it to be a person who can fight. You don't have that you can you don't you don't have to be famous to matter. You do not have to be famous to matter. That's big facts. Right. And you don't need that. And and this is why I think like whether it's I'm big on like, well, interpersonally, are you talking to your friends? Are you calling out that language? Are you having the discussions with your parents? Because this is not a black problem. This is a American problem. This is a human problem um, and a concern. Um, so, huh. and boy, what, what a, yeah, what a problem it is. And we're not defined by it too, right? Like that's, that's what I, I love to say. Like, this is not a monolith. Black is not a monolith. Neither is so many of these other minorities that consistently get grouped into this thing. It's broad and beautiful. Um, so hopefully, right. And some people want to do that. Ava DuVernay will make a, will make sure you know that she's a black female director. Some people are just like, I'm a director and I want to make a story about a dog that talks and plays basketball. You go, okay, great. You know, it's, it, it, and you, and they hopefully will never have to worry about somebody saying, wait, wait, well, is this black enough? Or is this this and that? Because the freedom of expression that we have as artists is to occupy these spaces to tell some sort of central truth that transcends these social delineations, right? Because these are all manufactured in a sense. And real quick, if we could do this, and I've been thinking about this more and more, like if, if people can, I've been thinking that it's been impossible for us to really uh, combat climate change. And I'm not trying to change the channel. As you know, like I'm out, I'm out here. I'm for, like, this is going to be something for the rest of my life. Like you, you do not give your life to fighting white supremacy. You give the rest of your life, obviously. But I'm just saying the hope that I've been feeling is like, oh, maybe if we can get on this accord of realizing this truth, because it is poison to all these hearts and souls, then we can maybe, um, you know, make a, make a better world for, for the next generation. And obviously the next. I want to, I want to be able to not, the thing should be beyond my imagination of what we can accomplish. And I feel like our horizon and our limit of the human capacity. And once again, of the stories we tell, we've put such a glass ceiling on it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. No, I could keep you. I could keep you all day. I like, I, I probably should let you go. Cause we've been talking for so I'm long. Just, I'm just picturing you editing this. Like, fuck. <laughs> I'm not just. I'm not going to edit much. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Like I said, this is supposed to be you talking and me listening. That's oh, my prerogative. Um, I, I, I think your voice is amazing. One, your actual tone of voice is beautiful, but two, okay. your message is important. And I love, like I said before, a, a passionate actor who has things to share and things to believe in. I feel like those are the actors who I want to support their career i want to follow i want to uh you know watch the things you do i want to you know that's the journey i want to be on um so thank you so much for being so open and like so yourself no thank you uh th yes and thank you and i feel like that's something to do right i gotta get we have to accept we have to accept those um thank thank you for that you know and it's like, it's like uh, they're saying this, I just, just make bold choices. 
make bold choices. Um, Boy, it's and, true in the audition room and it's true in life, isn't it? <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's, that's the tagline. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Fuck. What a, I haven't talked about acting in so long. It's like, it feels like it's like jumping into a very very nice cool refreshing pool oh that makes me really happy to hear that i'm gonna have spikes floating around like that, you know? <laughs> there might be landmines in here yeah. i realized i didn't get um where everyone can follow you um your website uh anything you have coming up that you want to point people to i'm so bad with uh the website and i need to do better with that and i only recently i've been bad with social so you know they made me get on that the the, the the ubiquitous they made me uh -huh. but um you can follow me at i am matt law on instagram and uh hopefully i can throw a website here together which would be i am matt law.com um and uh yeah give love receive love and uh i like that make bold choices i like that well, well also I'm defund the police yeah defund <laughs> And if you don't know why we're talking about that, you should do a quick Google. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Matthew, thank you so much for sharing your time, your energy, your space with me during these times. I could not be more grateful and I am so excited. I know you. I am so excited to follow his journey and just watch what he becomes in this business. I think we need more voices like his. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It is hosted and created by myself, Sam Valentine, with production help by Laurel Canyon Creative and Helena Santos. Our theme song is by the impeccable Maggie Zabo, and I will talk to you next week. Mm -hmm.